missed last week and you're still trying to figure that out, go to our app, go to the website, go to our YouTube channel and listen to that message again over and over. Put it on repeat, share it with all your friends and uh, then you'll, you'll get up to speed there. Last week we also talked about life getting back to chaos with school starting back and all those things and our, our lives just draining the lifeblood out of us kind of thing and the traffic, right? Are you experiencing that? Monday, I had the opportunity to drive across the city from the West. I know why our former premier said, you guys in the West need to stay home for a couple of years, right? Yeah, because it wasn't fun. It's quite challenging. But there is a reason for that. Did you know there's a reason? Okay. We came to Australia, or we came to where? Wyndham, this area. We came to Australia a long time ago, but to Wyndham in 2009. How many in the building and online, you can type it in, you can't, maybe you're not in Wyndham if you're online, you came since 2009, raise your hand, you've come to Wyndham since 2009, okay, lots of you, all right, in 2009, the population in Wyndham was 143,000, that's a lot of people, right, you remember the plaza in 2009, yeah, yeah. Now, the rest of this year, let's don't talk about the plaza anyway. By 2021, that number had more than doubled to 292,000. In 12 years, the population doubled in Wyndham. Today, the population in Wyndham is 335,000. So, do the math real quick. Yeah, yeah, math guy. Uh, what's that going to be by 2040? Yeah, don't worry about it. If you do the math, it'll be bigger than this number, but the projection is this, because I'm guessing they're going to slow growth down. Over 500,000 people in Wyndham. Now, next question, and be honest. How many of you have ever complained about the rapid growth in Wyndham? Raise your hand up high. I want to see those hands. Come on, my hand's up, sort of, right? Because I actually love the growth. I love the people. I love the diversity. I love what's happened in Wyndham. But if you're like me, you love that, but you would know that the infrastructure to accommodate these numbers was woefully insufficient, right? My apologies to anybody that works for state government or local council, you know, <laughs> but you know it's true, right? So that is why when we look at these population numbers, the demographic has changed dramatically. Do you know 84% of residents in Wyndham trace their heritage back somewhere other than Australia? And when we look at the age, 70% of the population of Wyndham is under 44. And half of that population is under 24. Why am I telling you this? Why is it important? Because I love it. It's just wonderful. But anyway... It's important, the age thing, because most people who make a decision to follow Jesus, 85%, the numbers, the, the, depending on who you're reading, 85% is middle ground. Some say 75, some say 95. I'm choosing 85. 85% of people that make a decision to follow Jesus do so before the age of 18. And the large majority of that is before the age of 12. 
That's why those statistics are important. That's why Kids Men is happening across the way right there, and they've got their own service where we're helping little people grow big faith because it's that important. As a church in the center of all this, the question we have to wrestle with is, how do we live out our mission, striving to be a loving community, seeking, serving, sharing Jesus? In the midst of that, what do we do? What does it look like? If you were here last week, you may have picked up one of the brochures that describe our mission, our values, and our vision. If you didn't get one of those, you can get one of the information desk later. But it talks about our what. Our what is on the orange panel of the brochure. And it talks about multiplying hope. We've simplified it because there's a lot of words there on the brochure. There's a whole lot more in the document that I've got. But we simplified it to multiply hope for two reasons. One, so you can remember it. Two, so we can put it on a t-shirt. All right? But you see it painted on our wall out there, and it says, hope multiplied. That's our vision, is to see hope hope multiplied. And on our T-shirt, it says, multiply hope. That's a little bit different. Why? Because what we want to see, the end result, is hope multiplied. This is action, multiplying hope. That's what you and I are wanting to do. And when we wear the T-shirt, we're telling everybody else, multiply hope, multiply hope all around you. That's an amazing thing. But you might be sitting there thinking, okay, I'm tired of all this multiply hope stuff. But actually, you're probably not because when I get tired of it, I'm just starting to communicate. That's what leadership tells me. But why? Why do we need to multiply hope? Why is it important? Well, first of all, why do we even need to multiply? Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, you know, I'm pretty comfortable how we are right now. Why multiply? Well, I'm going to submit to you and suggest to you that multiplication is not optional. When God created man and woman, which we believe that he did, Genesis 1, verse 28, the first words he said to that man and that woman were these, be fruitful and multiply. Multiplication is not optional. Now, clearly, this is in a literal sense, have offspring. I love Jackie going back to last week when I, when, when I said I, w- I wanted to make our tagline like the reproducing church or something like that. But uh, again, smarter people than me said don't do that. So now it's hope multiplied, multiply hope. But as the narrative played out through the Old Testament where God told them be fruitful and multiply, there were, we, we see a reason. God wanted the earth populated with heaps of people, with millions and billions of people. And he wanted relationship with those people. And he wanted those people to worship him. Now, some of you might think, well, wait a minute. Does that make him an egomaniac, narcissist or something? And I'm going to tell you, no. It makes him God, the creator of the universe, who loves you and loves me and wants worship and is worthy of our worship. He made this possible, that relationship, when he sent his son Jesus to this earth. His son Jesus was God in the flesh, and he died for our sins. Most of you, if you've been in church very long, you you know that. And when he died for our sins, he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. When Jesus was on this earth, though, in his teaching, we learned that he believed in multiplication. He believed in multiplication. Several pictures that he paints for us show us that. That when he's talking about building his kingdom, his kingdom growing, He's talking about multiplication. Look at these uh, 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 chapters and verses and books of the Bible. John chapter 15. John chapter 15 says that he is the vine, we are the branches. And he says, if you remain in me, you will produce much fruit. 
Much fruit. Not a little bit of fruit, much fruit. Multiplication is the idea. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, he's gone out uh, with uh, Peter in a boat, and he's preached to the crowds, and he said, let's go fishing. And Peter and his mates, they went fishing. They'd already been fishing all night. And they brought in a net load of fish that was so big, they had to get another boat to help them bring it in. And then Jesus said these words. He says, I want to make you fishers of men, fishers of people. Now, what they had in their mind in that moment, these are professional fishermen. It wasn't going and catching one fish with a rod and reel. It was the net full of fish that they just had. And Jesus said, hey, see that? I'm going to make you fishers of men. Multiplication, many fish. And then in John chapter 4, Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at the well, and he ended up teaching his disciples something, and that's a whole long conversation we could have. You could have that in your life groups this week maybe. But John chapter 4, verse 35, he says, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. Now, when he says harvest, that word doesn't mean we're going down to the local vegetable stand to get our vegetables. Harvest means thousands of acres of vegetables, right? And Jesus is saying the harvest is great. The harvest of people is great. So that's what he had in mind. He goes on and on. And in Luke 14, he talks about a banquet, and he keeps saying, hey, go get some more people. Go get some more people because I want my house full. And they never fill it up. He says, go get more. Go get more. Go get more. There's still room. He wants multiplication. You get the picture here. Multiplication is not optional. But what are we trying to multiply? We're trying to multiply hope. So the question that I want us to wrestle with for a minute is, what is hope and why is it needed? If we understand multiplication is not optional, but what are we trying to multiply? We're trying to multiply hope. Psychology today tells us that uh, through some research, hope can help us manage stress, anxiety, and cope with adversity. It contributes to our well-being and happens, or in happiness, and motivates positive action. Now that's what psychology understands about hope. There's all kinds of statistics that talk about people's physical well-being when they're going through difficult stuff physically. If they have hope, they have better outcomes. Doctors will tell us that. Mental health is better for people that have hope. Emotional health is better for people that have hope. A lot of what Jackie's talking about when, they, uh, when she went to Thailand and to do the hope for life they're ministering to people who are starting at a place of not having very much, if any, hope. And they're trying to give them hope, something better in the future. Thank you, by the way, Jackie. That was a brilliant presentation. Thank you very much for that. You know, as we think about hope, the research would tell us that a lack of hope is dangerous to us. It leads to depression, anxiety, self-harm, and even suicide. An ancient proverb written by King Solomon, who some would say it suggests is the wisest man that ever lived, says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. King Solomon's father, King David, wrote a lot of songs, and we have those in our Bibles in the book of Psalms, and he wrote this, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? Anybody ever say that or think that? He says, I will put my hope in God. That's the solution. I need to put my hope in God. 
See, hope is essential for life. And when we're talking about multiplying hope, it's not just hope for hope's sake so people can have a good life here. It's an eternal hope that we need to make sure that we continually focus on that Jesus is the ultimate hope. In Romans chapter 5, talks about, Paul talks about how problems grow us and make us resilient people. And he talks about hope. He says, our, developing our character, and it strengthens our hope. Here's what he says. Confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. For when we were utterly helpless, hopeless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Hope is vital. When I think about hope and how much it's needed in our world, and then I started this week, I was actually thinking about how we use that word hope. And generally, it's not a hope with confidence, which is what the word actually means, a confident expectation. Generally, we use the word hope when we're not confident at all. And we say, will this situation turn out a certain way? Or will, I, will this happen? We'll say, well, I hope so, right? And we have no confidence in that. Friends, I want to flip that for you today. I want us to unpack that a little bit so that you can understand why the hope that we have, it can be a confident expectation that it's not just a hope so, you know, with, with no confidence. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, all right, stop right there, God, who is the almighty the all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present, creator and sustainer of the universe is the source, that's the beginning, that's where it comes from, of hope. He's the source of hope. That hope, that's the confident expectation. The Greek word is elpidos, which means a desire or something good with confident expectation of it actually happening. That's what the hope is that we're talking about. You know, it's a different way to think about hope than the casual way when we're actually thinking there's no way this is going to happen, but I hope so. It's confident expectation. With that backdrop, knowing God is the source, that should change the tone. That should change how we feel about hope. Look what happens then. It says that the source of all hope, God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Anybody want to be filled completely with joy and peace? Yeah, I, I do. My prayer for you this year, for you that call WBC home and you online that call WBC home, is that you will experience this. I don't know about you, but I get tired of living a life some days without joy and peace, with stress and anxiety and all that. My prayer for you, just like Paul says, I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. That's the kicker. We got to trust in him for that to happen. Look at this. I love this part. It says, then, then, after all that happens, after we understand God is the source of hope, and while he's filling us with joy and peace, then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love the word then in that verse. It's probably my favorite word in the verse because that speaks to what happens next because you are filled with joy and peace because you have hope then that starts overflowing that starts multiplying all over everybody else all over other people because you have that in you and you have so much confidence your hope is so confident that 
You do that, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can talk for hours about doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I promise I won't. But, you know, we can do a lot of stuff in our own power. We really can. Somebody, some people say, well, you can't do anything without the power of God. Yeah, I get that, and it's even biblical, but we can work hard, and we can make things look good. We can actually achieve a lot, not of lasting value, but we can achieve a lot in our own strength. But, friends, that leaves us overwhelmed. That leaves us exhausted, and it leaves us with less results than what we actually should be seeing. But when we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, we trade overwhelmed for overflowing. You get that? That's exciting. And this is good preaching, and you should be engaged a little more than you are right now, okay? I'm just saying, all right? We, friends, need to trade in our being overwhelmed for being overflowing so that we can multiply hope at home, in our community, and around the world. So what does all this have to do with us today? When we think about our mission, when we think about our vision as a church and our strategy, as you already know, I'm a guy that likes to learn from other churches that has already done it, has already gone through some of the things. And I want us to look briefly at the early church again. In Acts chapter 6, they went through some stuff. And I want us to have a peek in there while we're talking about our vision and our strategy and where we're going. I think... There's some parallels here that we can learn from. In Acts chapter 6, verse 1, it says this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So believers multiplied. Their church was growing. It was just, uh, they were kicking out the walls. They didn't have any walls because they, the church was so big. They met outside and all this stuff. But there was rumblings of discontent. There was some pain happening because of the growth. Very practical problems were creeping up. People were feeling uh, neglected and discriminated against. And, and in the diversity of that church, they, it made them start looking at each other in unhealthy ways. This church was having some problems that were making some people grumpy. What this shows us is that multiplication bring, will bring challenges. We're going to have some challenges. If you've been around WBC the last couple of years, then you will be aware we have been growing. The believers have been multiplying in this place. Praise God. That's amazing. Growth has brought some challenges. One of the challenges that is highly visible is that our hosts are telling you when you come in the room, squeeze in to make room for other people, right? We see that already. Our kids' room or our kids' ministries are overflowing with capacity. I learned over the last three, four weeks that people that come after, say, 10.05 have trouble finding a car park. There's lots of car parks at 7.30, just to let you know, Okay. <laughs> So if that's you, just get here a little bit earlier. Some challenges. Rapid growth has meant that it's been challenging to do things like get people into life groups. We need more life groups to get people into, which means we need more life group leaders. Some of the challenges presented by growth have left some of the staff and some of our volunteers a bit overwhelmed and a bit exhausted. 
And it's not necessarily sustainable. One thing I shared with the staff this week is we're going to do more as a church. That doesn't mean that they can just do more because none of them have extra days of the week that they're getting paid for, that they're actually not working. Okay, they're actually working pretty hard. And if we're saying, we're going to do more, we're going to multiply, we're going to do this, do this, do this, what I told them is, don't need you working more. I need you working different so that we can be empowering other people to do ministry. And guess who that is? Wow, I'm looking at so many ministers here, and I'm loving it. With these challenges, it's exciting. And these are great problems for us to have, and I wouldn't want it any other way. And we need to be careful because in times of success, when things feel like they're going really well, if we rest in that, there's a guy called Henry Ward Beecher, and this is what he called success. It's a last year's nest from which the birds have flown. So if we just settle into the success that God is giving us now, and we don't acknowledge some challenges and prepare for a future, it's like the birds are gone, and we're not even going to realize it. If we don't respond to the opportunity before us, we're not going to continue to grow. Problems give us the opportunity to examine our ministry and discover what changes are needed. That's what they did in the early church. Look at this. It says this. So the 12 called a meeting, that's the apostles, of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. And then there's a long list of names. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. Multiplication brings challenges, but multiplication will require some changes. We're going to have to see some changes. In the early church, growth meant that the church leaders were busy doing things that weren't their primary job. And they were finding themselves not able to dedicate themselves to what they, their primary role was. They recognized this and that uh, there was jobs that they were doing that other people could actually be doing. So they said, hey, here's a plan. And everybody said, hey, that, that sounds like a good plan. That's okay. They weren't afraid to challenge and change the current systems and structures that they were dealing with, the way they were doing things. Multiplication exposes some things, sometimes problems, that then we have to decide what to do. Systems and processes or lack of systems and processes become more and more clear. When that happens, we have a choice. We can keep doing things the same way and stop growing and limit and put a lid on it, or we can change, we can adjust. When structure and ministry are in conflict with each other, that gives us an opportunity to trust God for what he's going to do next. One of the changes that we'll be making, and you would have heard, some of you would have already heard rumors, but as of Easter this year, that's the goal, we'll be moving to two morning services so the host won't, be, won't have to say, squeeze in, squeeze in. And so you can find a car park, unless you come in that switch over time, right, between the two services. They'll be at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. As long as we get the infrastructure in place. Why? 
Well, we're more than 80% full, and statistics tell us when we're more than 80% full, that starts inhibiting growth. More opportunity to welcome more people so that we can multiply hope. And some would say, why can't we just be happy with where we're at? We've got enough people here, and we can just be cozy and enjoy that. Well, I love that idea, sort of. But then I remember that the church is the only organization in the world that is here for the people that aren't here. It's for the people that don't know that they need to be here. The people that don't have hope and need to find hope. So it's not an option, okay? Just shut the doors and say, we're done, we're full. Put a full sign up, blinking, don't come in here, no vacancy. That's not an option. So what is the impact going to be? For some of you, the biggest impact is going to be choosing what time you come to church. 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Oh, man, that's going to be big. For some, it's going to mean longer days because some of you will do double services on some days. Some of you will actually get to serve in one service and sit in the other, and you haven't been able to do that for years, and you're going to be blessed because you'll actually be able to sit. And most of those people, they're not sitting here right now because they're actually out serving during this service. It will mean that we need more helpers. Last week, Pastor Deanna was talking to DeChan up here on the platform, and she asked him uh, uh, what they need as far as uh, leaders backing kids' men. And he said, double. And I was like, tell them how many. Tell them how many. And, and, but it's double. And that's currently, before we even go to double services, they could use double the number of, of leaders. And that right now has an immediate need of 20 to 30 more leaders and helpers over in kids' men. That's you. When we go to two services, there's not an area in our church that won't need more people. Do you like the coffees after church or before church? We need some more baristas, right? We need more baristas to do that. It's everything that happens. Another change that you're going to see is that we're going to need new systems and structures that make sure that we're caring for people more effectively because Pastor Enneke, he cares a lot for people, but there's one of him, right? So we're putting together some structures in place that will give away ministry so that we can make sure that everyone is cared for and things don't fall through the cracks. We need more life groups so that as our church gets bigger, it's also getting smaller. So everybody ends up with relationships through the life group's ministry. You know, multiplication gives us an opportunity to exercise our faith, not only in God, but also in each other as we give ministry away, as we entrust and empower others to do things. And that, my friends, is exciting. So what are the results? If we look at the early church, it says this. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Because they embraced the challenges, because they were willing to make changes, the message continued to spread. Numbers increased greatly, and many priests got saved. Hope was multiplied, and that's why we're here today, because they kept multiplying hope. That's exciting, friends. What this teaches us is that multiplication will make us a catalyst. It will make us a catalyst of hope while we're multiplying hope. The word catalyst, I love this word. It says, uh, the definition is this, something that makes a chemical reaction happen more quickly without itself being changed. Think about that. A church being a catalyst 
We don't change fundamentally who we are, our mission, our vision, and, and what God's called us to do from the scriptures. That never changes. But we're creating change all around us by staying true to who we are ourselves. It also says it's a condition, event, or a person that is the cause of an important or big change, a catalyst. See, we embrace the challenges and we make the changes that are needed to our infrastructure. And the result will be that we will become a catalyst. The mission or the message will continue to spread by faith. Our hope is that the number of believers will continue to increase and increase on and on. Not so that we can be a massive church and have a big church and, and 14 services and all that. That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to see people's lives who are feeling hopeless and helpless, who don't know Jesus, come to Jesus and then grow in their faith. That's the bottom line. Okay, And we want to make more room for that to happen. People will find hope for their lives. People will be empowered and find fulfillment in the ministry. This is a big call today, friends, for you who are here to maybe move from having a great attendance. We've got an attendance, but we need an army. We need to move from attenders to an army because there's people out there without hope. I want to go back to Romans chapter 15. I pray that God the source of all hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust him. Then you'll become a catalyst. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. That word then, that's our catalyst. That's defining who we are and who we're going to be. And friends, I want you to do three things for me today. I want you to, first of all, embrace the challenges. You know what? There's going to be some pain. It may not always be fun. Things may not happen exactly the way you want to. And, and from now till Easter, you might not actually end up sitting where you always sit. <gasps> and that's going to be painful. Embrace that challenge and be willing to move. There's, some, there's lots of seats up front still, okay? Embrace the challenge. Be a part of the change. I'm painting a picture here for you of what it's going to look like the rest of this year. And we, for, for this to happen, for us to go to two services as of Easter, you got to be a part of the change, okay? You really, really do. So I'm pleading with you in a positive way. And I'm begging, I'm not getting down on my knees and trying to twist your arm, but we need you. We're going to need singers, musicians, life group leaders, kids workers, and baristas, and, and car park attendants, and, and, and welcomers, and just every, we need everything. Be a part of that. And become a catalyst. Something that isn't fundamentally changing itself as a group, our, our church. We all need to be changing. Don't get that wrong. That fundamentally, we are sticking to the gospel. But we're creating change all around us. Be a catalyst. Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for the growth that you have been so generous in supplying over the last year and a bit. Thank you for doing it many times in spite of us. Lord, you know my heart. You know in my head. I scratch my head sometimes wondering, why does God think we can do this? Why does he want to bring us more people? Lord, thank you for that, for counting us faithful and entrusting that. 
But Lord, we take that responsibility seriously. And Lord, we lean into you, the source of all hope, to fill us with joy and peace so then we can be overflowing with the confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us with his power. Give us his strength to do what's ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.